You are listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number two, recorded in April 2011. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. My name is Sandra Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, so glad to be back with you again for our second episode. Well, and I'm really excited about the opportunity for the Global Center for Women and Justice to offer a podcast like this. Me too. And uh, we are going to be talking today about the how human trafficking is unfortunately a really big business. And that's one of the uh, tremendous realities about human trafficking and one of the reasons this is such a big issue. And last time, we talked about what human trafficking is from a legal context. And right. there's a global, federal, and state laws. And basically, the elements of human trafficking are force, fraud, and coercion. So it's modern-day slavery, but we don't see it the way that we sometimes think about the images of people in handcuffs or chained together or um, tied up to um, a post, but rather with force, fraud, and coercion, we see people who are offered a job that doesn't really exist or they're offered some kind of reward, financial or, or merchandise, and then that's a promise that when they actually arrive, they're put into some sort of labor or commercial sexual exploitation. And then they're kept in that through coercion, through the use of threats against themselves or against members of their families. And sometimes the force does come when they're brutalized through gang rapes and beatings and, and torture. And that mental prison then goes with them 24 hours a day and they're afraid to speak up they're afraid to to try to run away because of what will happen if they get caught or what will happen to members of their family. And unfortunately, this really does have a lot of business aspects to it. And I wish we didn't have to have a business conversation about this. But the reality is, is that the business aspects are a lot of the thing that really do drive human trafficking. And so um, I'm glad you're here and you're a wealth of information about how we can look at human trafficking through the lens of business uh, not to um, not to oversimplify it, but to give us a lens of really what is driving it. And so um, you probably are going to have questions about this as well as you listen to this podcast. And we really encourage you to reach out to us with your questions and your comments. And so you can reach us if you have a question or comment for this show. Uh, give us a call. We're at 714-556-3610. That's the main number for Vanguard University, where the Global Center for Women and Justice is housed. And you want to dial extension 2242. So again, that's 714-556-3610, extension 2242. And Sandy, folks can reach you by email as well, too. Uh, The email address for the center? GCWJ at Vanguard.edu, GCWJ, Global Center for Women and Justice. You can also just go on our website, gcwj.vanguard.edu. 
And before we talk more about the business of human trafficking, you have a, a, a quick piece of audio to share with us this morning. Our Live to Free um, did a video piece called The Cost of Demand. And here's just the intro so that we get a, a idea of how big the business aspect of this is to driving modern day slavery. Listen. We live in a modern world. Everything is possible. We fly to the moon. We decode the human gene. We invent new and better technologies to create, produce, and continuously improve the quality of our lives. The world today is a global market where products, labor, and money flow in an ever-expanding search for maximizing profits. Wherever there's a demand, there will be supply. We want something, someone will make sure we get it for the lowest cost and the biggest profit. But it comes at a price. What if I told you that 27 million people are still enslaved today? Modern day slavery has become a multi-billion dollar business and is now the second largest criminal industry in the world. The U.S. government estimates that every year about 200,000 people are trafficked into and within the United States to be exploited as labor and sex slaves. About half of them are children. Modern day slavery is not an overseas event. It is happening right here, right now, in your town. 200,000 just in the United States. And that encompasses a huge um, array of possible scenarios for human trafficking. Anything from commercial sexual exploitation, which is what we see most of the time in our news media as they tell stories of sex trafficking. Um, But it also shows up on the shelves of our supermarkets and in our department stores. And what I'd really like to talk about is the law of supply and demand that drives human trafficking. Mm. The uh, idea that you have an item that you want to sell and you're the supplier, you have to have demand for that product or you don't have a business. And so if someone wants to sell snow cones, they're going to open up their business when the demand is the highest and they're going to shut it down when winter comes and, and nobody wants snow cones anymore. So it's very much driven by what people want. You heard that in this clip. If we want something, someone will sell it to us. It's unfortunate we have to use the term supply and demand when we're talking about people and and people exploiting other people. But boy, the reality is, is that is exactly what's happening. And, you know, this is... um, you know, really an education for me as well, Sandy, because I had not heard that 200,000 number. Um, the number I had heard was 17,000. Um, and I don't know where I heard that number from. Maybe you can um, remind me of something around the, the well, trafficking or the State Department. And those numbers are just so um, difficult to get our heads around. And these are yeah. estimates. Um, the reality, Dave, is people aren't raising their hand to be counted. The census takers didn't say, so are you a trafficking victim? Right. So a lot of those are guesstimates. Um, It involves people who are trafficked and have been here 
for years and years as victims, and then additional victims enter the country each year. And it also, that number encompasses um, our own um, citizens who become victims of modern day slavery. So what can we do to really understand this from not only the business lens, but understand what we can do in this situation? Well, I think the first part is to understand our role in driving demand, that law of supply and demand that takes um, merchandise, a supplier um, who's looking to make profit and needs demand, and it changes it, just like you said, that's so horrific. Now the merchandise is a person, Mm. and someone is making a profit off that person. Now if that someone, that businessman or woman, was um, selling illegal drugs, they would need to keep going back to their, their chain of supply to get more drugs and keep making point of sale with their demand. But when you're talking about human trafficking, the merchandise is sold, the person is sold over and over and over again. So it's a very profitable business with very little risk because as we talked about in the last podcast, victims are afraid to self-report, to self-identify. And so the, the, the risk has been reduced Legislation is changing to increase the risk so we have more deterrence. But at this point, when someone can make a profit so easily, that's going to increase the number of people going into that business. And you have uh, educated me a lot just on how profitable it can be for traffickers and how much. Oh, my goodness. The United Nations in 2008 came up with the the figure of $33 billion a year. And, you know, Vanguard's got some great students that do women's studies minor. So one of my business students doing a women's studies minor developed some picture slides and took some of the biggest companies that we know that are just part of our everyday lives, not because they're trafficking businesses, but because so we can get an idea just for a point of comparison of, of how much co- yeah. that, that actually is. And and they're on the slide next to um, the thirty three billion dollar chart. It took all of the profit from five major companies that included big names like McDonald's and Burger King yeah. and um, IHOP. I passed those places on my way to work. I imagined then I'm passing people who are invisible right here, who are victims of human trafficking. And the part I really want us to look at today is how does, what's my role in this as an individual? And then how does this impact me? And first of all, as far as the indirect costs, any business that is using slave labor is competing unfairly. So if you're a small business person, this impacts you. Because somebody else can sell something cheaper because they're not paying their labor. Mm. So when you look at it that way, it's like, oh, I want to do something because it's going to benefit me. Um, There's all the other indirect costs. The cost of of human trafficking impacts our taxes. We are um, spending money for law enforcement to do investigations. We spend money to provide victim resources when after rescues. And then the impact on our healthcare system, um, there are lots of indirect costs. And when I think about the trafficking of our own children, which is happening in the commercial sex industry, and we'll talk about that 
more detailed in another podcast. When I think about that, that is an indirect cost that is the loss of our youth and eventually that impacts my future. I'm planning someday, Dave, to retire. And and the the youth of today are going to be the ones paying taxes that help pay my retirement, right? Uh, and we hope, yes. So so the the indirect costs affect every single person, mm. every single person in America. But my role in driving that is a little harder to explain. It's pretty easy to see the sex trafficking demand side of things. And in fact, here in Orange County, here in Southern California, um, Lieutenant Derek Marsh is the chair of the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force and was one of the speakers at our recent um, spring conference, Ensure Justice, Defend Children. And it was amazing to hear him report over a hundred victims of modern day slavery have been served right here in Orange County. So why do we have so many victims right here in Orange County? Well, there's demand. And many of the reports are victims who've been rescued from brothels. There's demand to purchase sex from slaves, from children. And traffickers, because they're businessmen, are supplying what the local demand is for. And you've really opened my eyes and uh, in the past to just looking at some of the local newspapers of where there are uh, ads or announcements that you know are sort of covered up as something else, but in reality are actually part of this problem. Well, and that's a great way to gauge how profitable a business is because if they're spending money on advertising, they have an advertising budget, right? Right. So when uh, when I first became the administrator of the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force a few years ago, the LA Times sent somebody to interview me and he was amazed when I talked about ads in the local paper that were thinly veiled sex ads that targeted predominantly men because the ads were in the sports section. Mm. Um, but those ads drive demand and my students asked me, so how come there's always these grand openings for this little massage parlor or, or this gentleman's club? It's because our law enforcement are out there shutting these places down. They're illegal. Um, they cost our communities. So how are we part of um, ending that? And one of the ways is, like we talked about last week, when you see something that doesn't look right, like a massage parlor that's open from 10, in, 10 at night to three in the morning or five in the morning, that would be unusual. And that would be a good time to call the 888-3737-888 number. But the other ways that this is big business are a little more difficult to identify. There's no um, cars driving up at two o'clock in the morning and, and shady things like that that you can identify. You might see the evidence of modern day slavery on the shelves of your supermarket. Hmm. In, two so? in 2007, the Trafficking in Persons report showed us that there were 284,000 children who were slaves on the cocoa plantations in West Africa. And this results in cheap chocolate on your grocery store shelf. So every time you purchase that product, you tell the supplier, that's the price I want to pay. Keep the price low. And that drives demand for child slave labor on those cocoa plantations. Mm. So what um, 
our students that go out and do live to free presentations in high schools and doing education and awareness with the next generation, they always challenge them to start practicing just choices to change lives. Buy fair trade products like chocolate. So when you purchase fair trade chocolate, though, it's going to cost more because somebody is getting paid a fair wage in their economy. So that means that you're going to pay perhaps $2 for a chocolate bar. And in fact, my favorite is Trader Joe's and they have dark chocolate that's fabulous. And I eat it guilt free because I know that a child wasn't forced to work 16 hours a day, seven days a week, no education, malnourished so that I can have cheap chocolate. And their chocolate is all fair trade that they sell. The fair trade, the fair trade chocolate always has a a little identifier. There's a few different certification um, emblems, but it'll say fair trade or, or slave free, but look for that information on the product. And here in California, starting in January, 2012, Big businesses, um, big companies, retailers will be required to provide for the consumer information on fair trade practices of their products and identifying in their supply chain when something has been made with slave labor is is really important. When Ambassador Louis C. DeBaca was with us at Vanguard in uh, October of 2009, he um, told us how difficult identifying supply chains really is. And we all are working hard to make choices that don't drive demand for slavery. But none of us are guilt-free. Dave, do you have a cell phone? I do have a cell phone. In fact, it is uh, in my hand. Well, it's always that close to me. (laughs) 99% of the mineral that's used in every cell phone is mined in a slave mine in the heart of the Congo. I've heard that before. So this is is ubiquitous in our lives. How do we begin to change that? We make choices um, to purchase chocolate, but I can't, I need my cell phone. So I'm gonna have to find other ways to advocate. And that means writing letters and um, creating more awareness so that the movement grows from a grassroots perspective. And I think that's one of the things that can be overwhelming for um, those of us as we're learning about human trafficking for the first time and some of the issues that are surrounding the, the business aspect, Sandy, is that, um, you know, I, I never thought about buying chocolate until I met you. Ah. And I never thought about the choices I would make. And I don't buy much chocolate, but um, but now when I do and we, we do buy chocolate, we do look for the fair trade and we do, if we buy it, we buy it at Trader Joe's and we do buy the fair trade chocolate. What other choices can we make that are the low-hanging fruit right now? I know there are things like the cell phones that, unfortunately, a lot of us, you know, we don't have a lot of other options. But what are there things where we do have options where if we made a few small changes would really change the, the, the global impact of what's happening? Asking questions of the businesses that you patronize. Uh, several years ago, one of our students did a research project within a mile of Vanguard. She went to every place that sold coffee or chocolate and asked them, do you have a fair trade product? Mm. I only want to buy. And our Vanguard students are socially conscious about this. They are very socially conscious. um, And she did this for three months each month. And the first month, oh, they were like, well, I don't don't know. I don't know. 
and um, and then and then the next month it's like oh you're serious and then the next month yes there it is it's right here we have fair trade chocolate and they ask questions you fill out the little suggestion uh, comment card um, this growth has impacted big names Starbucks now reports 81% of their coffee beans are fair trade coffee beans wow um, even even your supermarkets and big um, chain stores that we traditionally associate with with having really low cost products Walmart has a fair trade coffee you can purchase um, but even things like like your clothes asking questions where did this come from look up the 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 label find out and you can go to our website uh, gcwj at vanguard.edu and we have a resource page where you can click on links that will take you to information about who sells fair trade products Um, one of the benefits of being the director of the global center for women and justice is i have students volunteering all the time so i ask one of my students um, I want to buy a pair of tennis shoes and I want to make sure I get one where the company is working hard to make those kind of good choices that mm. affect um, reducing demand for slave labor. Yeah, sure. So my student corrected me first. Did you know this, Dave? We buy athletic shoes now, not tennis shoes. I'm like, oh, okay, because I don't play tennis. Uh, it's different. So I said, okay, fine. Get me some some information on buying athletic shoes. So a couple days later, she came back and she said, this company gets a C plus. They check out their supply chain for the cotton and for the plastic and um, some of the other materials that go into producing an athletic shoe. But their metal is scrap metal and they really don't know where it's coming from. And the rubber is coming from a place that um, we're pretty sure the plantations have not had any oversight for for slave-free labor. So basically, they were making a good effort. Could not find an athletic shoe that was entirely slave-free because Mm. it's very complicated to check out the supply chain. So I made the best choice I could, and I bought C-plus shoes, and I was happy with that. And there are so many variables in this conversation. It really does impact so many different things. And you mentioned there's a resource on the Global Center, uh, Global Center for Women and Justice's site on what are some of the places we can frequent uh, that really are committed to the fair trade practices. Where else would we, where else can we look or should we look for information other than in addition to just going out and, and talking to Uh, folks are running businesses and talking about where they're sourcing their products from a great location is to go on the department of labor website and you will be able to access a list that shows you um, the companies that are following best practices for fair trade labor especially when it comes to importing materials and in fact that's where you'll find the report on starbucks and 81 percent of their coffee beans are fair trade. Oh, interesting. That's one of the very best of websites to go to. And I don't know how much you know about the Starbucks uh, process. I, I'm, I don't know anything about it, but what caused that? What, what, what led to them making that change? Consumer demand. Consumer demand. People ask. And at first, they only had one, one product. It was Estimate Blend. And you would have to wait while they made it for you. But if enough people say, oh, I'll wait because it's important to me, 
then it begins to drive demand. And, and companies want to have that socially responsible image. It's really good. And there, and here's where the law of supply and demand works for us on this side of the issue for ending human trafficking. When we demand, we, we provide a lot of reinforcement to business people that we want fair trade products, that we want to end human trafficking. That drives demand. Then the suppliers look back at the product and figure out how to give us what we want. But the thing to remember that's really important is that means it's going to cost more. When I buy a $2 chocolate bar, um, I'm not going to have as much. And we do lots of kids presentations. And uh, uh, if you if you do a little math lesson, mm-hmm. you've got $10 a month, Dave, for your chocolate budget. And you've been buying candy bars on sale, sometimes three for a dollar, sometimes two for a dollar, sometimes 75 cents. But basically, let's kind of average that out. And you could probably have 20 candy bars in the month. If you're paying $2 for a chocolate bar, you only get five. So you make a choice to have less so that there's enough for a child on the West Coast of Africa. And I think this is probably one of the big things that gets in our way. And I know gets in my way as a American in a consumer economy is we want the companies that provide services and and products to us to be ethical and to source good products and to use fair trade practices. And yet we will go out of our way to save 30 cents on a product or service if we can, and we'll go find it for the cheapest dollar amount we can, if we have the opportunity to. How, how do you advise people to, to kind of balance those two things, Sandy? What, what should we keep in mind when we're, you know, we're trying to manage our budgets, but at the same time, we, we want to be good stewards of, uh, of really what we have. That's a great question. And that's why studying the issues so that we can actually be um, a, a sound voice that has good practice um, is so important to make a difference. And part of it is we have to change our culture so that more is not the definition of, of happiness and success. And frankly, you know, my background, I'm a nurse, um, five chocolate candy bars a month is probably enough. <laughs> so I don't need to have so much. Right. And our, our, um, our definition of good stewardship has often been um, erroneously uh, lodged in that idea of less for cheap is yeah. good stewardship. Yeah. But so let me just kind of give you a different image of stewardship. Sure. When I spend $2 for that chocolate bar, I not only get a really good dark chocolate's my favorite, just in case you want to bring some to the studio next uh, it time. It is duly noted. Okay. Uh, when I spend that $2, an adult is getting a fair wage so that they have the dignity of supporting their children, feeding their children, and educating their children. So when I spend that $2, I am buying a whole lot more than just the chocolate. I am, uh, I'm struck as someone who, uh, although I, I'm blessed to serve on your board as an advisor uh, to the Global Center, my, my work is in the leadership and training world. And one of the things that we do when we're talking with people about how to make a bigger impact in the business world is we have them first look at themselves 
and look at self-leadership and focus on changing themselves first. And it's really the same story when it comes to the business of human trafficking too, is that it's easy for us to go out and to point fingers at all the people and all the companies out there that are driving the demand um, for trafficking. At the end of the day though, we have to look at ourselves and we have to look at the choices we're making. And if we can change ourselves first, we do impact that business environment and we do impact the choices that people make ultimately. Absolutely. And, and don't get me wrong. Fair trade is a very slippery slope. Um, one of the things that we tell our students is we are not against anybody. We're not going to do boycott signs against big companies. They are working on retooling. Um, and there are business practices that would harm the small family plantations that are not in the fair trade certified associations, which costs. So there's, it's very complicated. But when I drive demand by my choices, then we drive the energy to begin to change the, the practices that are happening in those countries. And when I first read that report in June 2007, the image that stays in my mind as I did online research was a picture of a little boy's feet and he had run away from the cocoa plantation in Africa Mm. and they had chased him and brought him back and then they sliced the bottom of his feet so that he couldn't run away again and to remind him that he couldn't run away. Wow. And I saw those scars on the bottom of his feet and I decided that the price of eating cheap chocolate was too high for me. You know, it's um, there's there's so much here that we we should keep in mind when we're thinking about how we as consumers play a role, and and we all do play a small role. And you mentioned with the cell phones, uh, we all play a small role in this in one way or the other. So if we can educate ourselves about the choices that we're making, we play a less role in in furthering this this problem. It's hard though. See, it's really easy and in the in the bigger scheme of things to go to a big rally and show up and ha- carry signs. I'm against human trafficking. Yay, yay, yay. Yeah. It's really hard to make choices every day and say, "Wow, that looks really cool," but oh, you know what? It feeds the demand for more slavery. Well, I'm not going to buy it. And I I think the point you make of not being against the large companies and and com- we have all made choices that have contributed to human trafficking. And so um, in addition to ourselves, the the large organizations, the companies uh, are going to help us to end this as well. Um, We can work in partnership because they have a tremendous amount of um, resource and influence in the world. And if we enter that conversation as partners, they're the ones that are going to really help us to get there uh, much more than we would as individuals on our own. So this is a conversation that we want to keep having. And we will keep having it, starting with our uh, next uh, podcast episode, which is actually we're going to tackle the topic of children in trafficking in the United States for episode number three. So that'll be coming up in two weeks. In the meantime, Sandy, would you mention uh, just quickly about the conference that's coming up uh, in March of next year? March 2nd and 3rd, 2012, our conference will be Women, Education and Justice a global view and you don't want to miss it. And that's all for now. If you have a comment or question for us, gcwj at vanguard.edu 
or you can reach us by phone, 714-556-3610, and that's extension 2242. Thank you. Until next time, thanks, Sandy, for your time today.